0: one basic hip welcome to the jazz session i'm jason crane this is episode 464 for september 15th 2018 on today's show vocalist sarah gazarek this show i'm very excited to tell you contains the world premiere of music you quite literally cannot hear anywhere else sarah was kind enough to give me access to audio from some videos she's been shooting that will come out in the run-up to her new album, which comes out in 2019. The album right now is being mixed and mastered, as you'll hear in this interview. But you right now are the first people to hear this brand new music, new band, new repertoire. It's super exciting. Let's kick it off.
1: Talks about you in his sleep.
0: I'm so excited to have Sarah Gazaric on the show. Sarah, welcome to the Jazz Session.
1: Thank you
2: for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: It is my pleasure. You are uh, one of those people who has somehow turned a career in singing jazz into uh, I don't know, just this very uh, kind of far-reaching thing that I really marvel at. I mean, a lot of people are really into what you do, and I've kind of thought over the years about what it is that that i like most about your music and i think it kind of comes down to the idea of exposure that your your performances whether recorded or live i've never seen you in the same room but i've watched live performances they always seem incredibly honest and so i guess i wanted to maybe to start there and even when you're singing songs that were written you know decades before you were even born they just always feel really connected to you and so i wanted to ask you about how you choose music and how you put yourself into what you play
2: Wow. Okay. Well, you jumped in with like, you know, a, a really beautiful and poignant question that sort of drives me in my everyday explorations of life and relationships and music. And so I just kind of want to like, take a second and acknowledge how awesome that is. But that's something that you tapped into. And also how awesome that is. That that's the first question that you led with in the interview. Yeah, there's not so this,
0: the jazz session it. doesn't really do a lot of like, How's your cat? Although I did lead off the last episode with how's your dog? And we certainly should talk about how your cat is.
2: Okay, but yeah,
0: we'll we'll get there in time. It eases up as we go along.
2: Yeah, (laughs) cool. Great. Um, Yeah, great. Awesome. So, you know, as as I said, this is something that that I would say is the the biggest driving factor in my life as a person. Um, I remember when I was in kindergarten, my my kindergarten teacher on my report card said that Sarah thinks that my lessons interact her. Uh, social interactions (laughs) (laughs) which I think is just like foreshadowing uh, the rest of my life that you know really like my human relationships and interacting with other people and picking up on like little tiny micro expressions and um, kind of facing experiences head on is a thing that I find myself thinking about most often and I think that that ultimately is what brought me to this art form that even as a 16 or 17 year old there's this expectation that if you bring yourself to jazz, that your audience, whether or not they know it, are expecting a, a sincere expression of a human being instead of an idea of a human being, right? Um, and so it's always been, for me anyway, like the, you know, application of the instrument and um, mastery of of the voice and little tiny affectations and colors and tones and textures um, and, you know left pinky and the eyebrow and all of these things like what what brings us to the identification that something is authentic versus performative right like what is it about our interactions that leads us to believe that someone is actually comfortable in who they are and grounded in what it is that they're expressing versus someone who's clearly um, you know performing or or even just uncomfortable in a social interaction and so I've always a kind of Led with this idea that I want to be as comfortable sharing who I am with not only the people who I surround myself with, but my audiences as well. In an attempt to be expressive and not impressive,
0: if that makes sense. It does. And to me, it seems like one of the difficult parts of that is that if you really get to... Uh, spend time at a at a micro level looking at things like your body language and things like that. I at least for me, I know if like if I think about talking when I am on the radio, all of a sudden I can't do it anymore. Uh-huh. And so how do you how do you get past that? Like okay, I know all of this very well, and now I need to stop thinking about the fact that I know it and just be in this song again.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's oh, that's a really good question too. I mean, I think that it's just about recognizing mental chatter and. And quieting it, you know, and and when you get to a point where you are really able to be a 100% present in what it is that you're experiencing, that comes across, right? And so it's less about like, you know, how do I come across as this, as much as how do I do this, right? Like, mm. how do I not notice that, you know, Kurt Elling is sitting in the back of this jazz club, and the main writer from the New York Times is in the front row, and um, you know, all of these things that kind of take us out of this genuine experience that we should be like expressing, right? And welcoming people into this experience um, instead of kind of putting on airs that you are comfortable or you are confident. So the work that I've done in the last 10 to 15 years is like, you know, how how do I get to a place where I'm comfortable with that? You know, like how do I get to a place where I'm comfortable expressing what it feels like to realize that someone's been lying to you for the last eight months in a romantic relationship. Right. And like to go there in front of 400 people and it takes work for sure. um, But I feel like it's, it's my duty as a performer because I don't think that people are there to see me, you know, it's like, that's a really odd way to look at art that like someone is paying to see me do my thing and be impressed with what I'm doing. I think that people ultimately are there to feel something. And the only way to genuinely feel something is to, to be a gateway for people to mirror their own experiences in what it is that I'm expressing. So that when I'm singing about, you know, infidelity that someone isn't thinking that poor thing who's been cheated on, they're looking at me and thinking, I like, I felt what she is feeling and, and I now can process that as well. And what a gift that is as a performer to welcome that experience For someone
1: else, foggy night, a winding road, silent sound of afterglow secrets grow and flicker in the fading light wandering these streets alone i'm lost in love far from home but blood and bone i'm left to know which way is right in the gaslight district watching uh
0: the video that you made for the gaslight district um and living in this you know this era that we live in uh where people are being very open about the things that have happened to them in in relationships both voluntary relationships and involuntary um i i mean i couldn't help but wonder if that was a a reference to you know things in your own life and to obviously Gaslight has come to mean a different thing nowadays, trying to make someone right. feel almost insane by telling them that the right. things that are happening aren't happening. Is that what right. we're talking about in that song?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who you know goes from A to C instead of A to B would recognize that there are a lot of parallels in that song to essentially where that term came from, which is a movie called uh, Gaslight, right? And And that terminology came to I guess, common use from that movie that, like, you know, someone came to someone asking for the truth and that person told them, you're crazy. Um, this is the actual truth, even though that's the lie, right? And so kind yeah. of having the rug pulled out from underneath you in a romantic context, which is so jarring when you have someone who you think you trust and who you think you love who's telling you you're the reason why this isn't working um, and that you're meant to swallow that pill, right? Um, and that one kind of came to... Came to me because the person who I was in the relationship with lived in San Diego, and that um, San Diego is, has, you know, has a, a pretty famous area called the gas lamp district. Um, and gas lighting, you know, is sort of a comparable word, right? And so the analogy in that song kind of has a lot of different layers, but is meant to kind of set the tone for being in this place where you kind of can't find your way, even like your own personal compass. And then the second verse, of course, opens up to a much more Obvious statement of the meaning of the song
0: (laughs) Sure started as you were right to point out with uh, you know all the big heavy what is the meaning of life questions (laughs) and so i think one but one of the reasons that i first started you know kind of following you back in the day on social media when i first learned about you and um was because you're also really really funny i'm not asking you questions that allow you to be funny at all but like um i mean i just remember like you know the long series of you know there's mattress photos on social media abandoned on the street (laughs) or Uh, There's a lot of great uh, Instagram cat vocal solos and just I mean, just all kinds of great stuff. And so somewhere between this exposure of pain and the fact that there's a lot of joy in this music as well, Mm -hmm. uh, is seems to be kind of where you live. And I'm always curious about how like someone builds a performance set that can accommodate talking about gaslighting in song and can also accommodate you know, and now here's an tempo swinger that all the kids love, that kind of thing. How do you, (laughs) how do you, how do you go about that?
2: Well, you know, I think that it's again, it's just about that authenticity. And I think that even people who are in the most darkest place, um, if you're coming at it from a place of, of well-roundedness, it's not all dark, right? If it's, if it's grounded in, in true genuine experience, right. And it might be challenging to see the light when you're in, you know, the heart of it. But I have found that, um, you know, it's sort of like a great analogy is sort of like a tree, you know, the deeper the tree branches or the, the roots grow, the higher the branches grow. Sure. Right? That like my ability to face some of the challenges that I've experienced over the last six years in the unraveling of a marriage and a, a near death accident with a really close family member. And, you know, this, this super tumultuous relationship with someone, that person in San Diego um, also kind of opened me up to receiving more love and more intimacy than I've ever received in my life. And to recognize that like, yeah, like comedy is a, is a really important part of who I am and always has been, you know, like having little accents and, and yeah, little outlets of, of punny expression and comedy videos on YouTube and um, you know, even taking like extended improv comedy courses at, Upright Citizens Brigade here in in Los Angeles that's always been something that I've done even in high school I was the head of the comedy improv team at my high school um and so absolutely I feel like most even most comedians would agree that like you can't really find the funny and the beautiful unless you're actually being honest about some of those darker things otherwise you're just kind of plodding along kind of tapping your foot you know into into the water of one and the water of the other but i always have found that to have a more well-rounded experience on the planet you kind of want to bring both into the into the world and i just want to point out for
0: listeners that as brave as it seems like it is to talk about relationship issues it's significantly braver to say i was the head of an improv comedy troupe ah. <laughs> so i mean kudos to you for putting it all out there i just hey, there it is. this is a no holds barred interviewed for sure that's right <laughs> I want to talk about this new music uh, that you're working on. We obviously we alluded to it um, with Gaslight, but there's a lot of great stuff, um, both originals and just reworkings of other people's material um, that we'll get to hear uh, before too much longer. But can you talk about uh, kind of this new collection of songs? Cause I didn't, uh, I didn't follow up on asking about how you pick repertoire, but maybe we can kind of work that into this is how did you, how do you choose what it is that you're going to work on next? How do you find things that, that speak to you?
2: Great question. I think like most artists, um, I just try to find songs that tell a story that I can breathe life into, you know. And so if I'm experiencing something, the two options are um, let's find a song that expresses that experience or let me write a song that expresses that experience. And so for Gaslight District or Easy Love, the other original composition on the on the album coming up, um, those concepts didn't exist yet in a way that I had found. Um, but other tunes, yeah. Like if it's a if it's a Hoagie Carmichael song, awesome. If it's a Dolly Pardon song, awesome. I don't really care if it kind of fits in the in the jazz standard repertoire. Um, but for me, what kind of the, the common thread, the common woven thread is like, you know, the musicianship, the improvisatory elements. Um, the ability to look at the meter and ask myself, is it actually representative of, of emphasis and speech pattern? And if not, how do we change it? Maybe add a bar of seven here, a bar of six there. Um, so that it sounds and feels like it breathes changing the harmony in a way that brings a little bit more insight into my experience that I'm trying to share and sets the tone for my story. Um, so, you know, I mean, I might get in trouble with the jazz police and in recognizing that a lot of the repertoire that I do isn't necessarily in the jazz standard repertoire, but, but I do think that it is comparable to the treatment of some of the great jazz standards that we do in my band as well.
0: I, are we still, I like to think of us as being delightfully past the era of the jazz police where like people have been, you know, singing Nick Drake songs right after Jerome Kern songs for decades now, but I'm also not in that in that world to the degree that you are 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 people still giving you a hard time about singing dolly parton in a jazz club
2: you know it's interesting that you would ask that um i had a an experience almost a week ago that was actually pretty shocking um and i think i had to dig deep and to ask myself what was shocking about it because it wasn't really the expression that someone shared that they they didn't like what they heard on stage, what ended up happening was that we did a show kind of sharing some of this music. And a guy came up afterwards and was like, what happened to the jazz standard that you checked with? Cause we just played through a tune for the sound check. And I was like, Oh no, that was just for people who got here early. It was a special treat. He's like, no, I'm serious. Um, this is a jazz series. And what you did was not jazz. And if you're not going to do jazz, you shouldn't be here. Um,
0: Dude, it's, it's 2018 for the love of God.
2: Oh, no. I was, just, I, mean, I really got no time and... for that
0: at all. I mean, I get that no, it totally. happens, but yeah.
2: <laughs> totally. And, it's—and you know, but just to answer your question, yes, it does happen. And as God. a performer, all that I can do is say, you know, I hear you. Thanks for coming. Good news is it's a free series, <laughs> and there's another artist who's going to be here next week that you might enjoy. Oh. But the thing that I think that broke my heart wasn't that he didn't like what we did or that he didn't classify it as jazz. I can't control that. I have no. I have no control over what his influences are. His influences are different than mine. He didn't like what I did. Cool. Like there are, he can, he can join the rest of the people in the world who aren't on board because in in any art form, there's always going to be people who don't agree with it or don't resonate with it. I think the thing that really, really upset me though, is hearing somebody say, you don't belong. Period. Right. That like, you're wearing pants, you don't belong, or you have brown hair and you don't belong your art isn't what I deem valuable, so you don't belong. And I think that's what irks me this day and age, is to have someone walk up to another human being and say, what you have done doesn't belong. And I think that if we can fight as performers and even just as human beings to never utter those words to someone, unless it's what you have done brought physical or emotional harm to another being. Right. But like to say to someone you don't belong, I think I think it should be against the law. (laughs) Yeah. Amen.
0: Let's take a quick break from the music to tell you about how you can support the show. Go to patreon.com slash the jazz session. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the jazz session. For $5 a month, you get a bonus episode every month. If we hit 100 subscribers, I will put out three episodes of the main show each month. Right now, it comes out on the 1st and 15th. We'll throw another main episode in there. If I hit 200 subscribers, it'll come out weekly. So again, patreon.com slash the jazz session. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the jazz session. Thanks.
1: And for the open sea.
0: find things that surprise me um, and I I really like this era of, of vocalists because I feel like and again I say this era and I kind of mean like the last 10-15 years something like that because I just I feel like despite there being you know Johnny 1950s people in the audience too but for the most part I feel like we are much freer now
2: to mm-hmm. just
0: do what moves us as uh you know as people who make music and that makes me very very happy because i really like the fact that you know the tradition moved on back in the day the things that we consider the tradition now obviously weren't the tradition when they first became a thing and i like the fact that we're incorporating other musics into what's happening now because that is what people those are the touchstones that people have nowadays i mean an 18 year old just you know unless they're a nerd like me they don't have you know, Gershwin songs in their normal singing in the shower repertoire. So I like to hear things that that can reach people where they are. I think that's really important.
2: Yeah. And I think honestly, like, you know, if someone were to ask me, how would you define jazz? I feel like the the definition is still the same, right? Like it's meant to be, in my opinion, meant to be uh, an authentic expression of self, you know, and that like. All that we can do is be honest about who we are. And so if someone wholeheartedly identifies as a Frank Sinatra impersonator or wholeheartedly as a human being, like an expressive human being, happens to sound like Billie Holiday and wants to sing that repertoire and is actually telling a story with it instead of, you know, a callback to an idea of a person, um, then so be it. You know, I mean, I think for me, I absolutely and moved by certain stevie wonder songs and it's a story as i said that i want to tell because i think other people might identify it with it um and that if i'm gonna sing you know a song like luck be a lady tonight it's my duty to do the work to figure out what that song means to me and to tell a genuine story so i remember being reamed by a by a, a a critic when I was 23 that I had recorded cheek to cheek on my first record. We had done a different version of it and kind of arranged it in a way that, again, told the story that I was trying to tell. And um, the review said something to the effect of, you know, this person is 23 years old. How how could she dare sing songs that were written, you know, dozens of years before she was born? Um, She should stick to songs that move her generation. And I thought, on the opposite end of the spectrum, how equally close-minded is that? That these songs that speak about big-picture universal truths might not actually be identifiable in younger generations or newer generations, right? Sure. At its base, Cheek to Cheek is talking about finding someone that you want things to go romantically further with, right? And like, even as a 16-year-old, I experienced that. That, like, yeah, maybe I wasn't pressing my cheek next to some kid's cheek at a dance and he wrote his name on my dance card like yeah that doesn't happen anymore um, but I did go to the movies with someone at 15 years old and his leg touched my leg and all of a sudden the movie fell away and I didn't know if he meant to do that and are we gonna be boyfriend girlfriend and where is this going and you know and and that's what my story was with that song and and how unfortunate would it be if those songs died with the people who wrote them because they absolutely speak to experiences that people of any generation have.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And a more nuanced uh, point that I was able to make just moments ago. Uh, yeah. um, and I, I, do, I do appreciate that. I didn't mean to suggest that no one should ever sing Gershwin anymore. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, but I just that we should include, that. yeah, that we should be able to include things that are not Gershwin. I mean, if you Absolutely. followed that guy's point, you know, we wouldn't perform Mozart anymore. Because obviously that was right.
2: written a while ago, too. So. Right. And jazz, in effect, actually would be dead, right? right. And the songs would <laughs> yes. be dead with the people who wrote them, which is just so sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I completely but agree.
2: But again, it's like, if, if authentically I want to sing Jolene... I should sing Jolene if I can actually like arrange it in a way that comes across, you know, authentic and, and true to my experience. It might open the gates for somebody to genuinely feel something. And I think that's the point of this music. It's not a Beyonce. It's not a Lady Gaga where it's a an, an idea of a person, a mythological being, right? Like people want a human. Yeah. And yeah. that human isn't bound by the Irving Berlin songbook.
0: And hearing your version uh, of Jolene, I was just reminded again, man, Dolly Parton can write. Oh, my God. It it can be easy, especially with that song, because we've all heard it so many times. It can be easy to forget just what an amazing piece of writing that is. That is a a killer piece of music. Yeah. Yeah. Man alive. Uh, So you spend um, a fair amount of time teaching other people um, how to also find this authenticity. And... so I guess I'll just ask simply, how do you, how do you teach something like that? What do you tell students about how they should find who they are as a performer?
2: You know, that's something that I've come to very recently, actually, in having some distance from the jazz academia world as a student and then spending some time in it as a a young educator who's still trying to find her way in the world. Um, and now eight years in, I've been teaching at USC for eight years and, um, even in the last year and a half or, or even just this semester, I have sort of taken on the perspective of of an educator who's just in essence trying to help young people identify what excites them and recognizing that like, that's okay. And it might be something that doesn't excite me, um, but my job is to help them recognize that the thing that excites them, even if it's just, you know, like I like music that makes me want to move, right? That that's something that they should be able to articulate and incorporate into their own thing. I feel like in at least in, in where I went to school and, and kind of the climate when I went to school, it was so very much about being hip and cool and impressive and um, you know, knowing everything and being able to improvise and play fast and and bebop and like all these things. And and I graduated feeling so far from valuable. And so far from understanding what it was that I valued that took me a good five or six years to even just recognize what that was in myself. And, and that continues to change, but, you know, having someone say to me at 19 years old, the fact that you want to sit here and look at, at Nancy Wilson's like lower left eyelid when she's singing a ballad and you're asking yourself like, why do I get that she's mad right here? Right. That that's just as valuable as analyzing Charlie Parker's bebop lines on confirmation. Right. That like it, it's another form of improvisation. You're developing tools and recognizing tools of genuine expression as a, as a means to an ends of sharing something. Right. And that's the whole point of improvisation isn't to be impressive. It's to be able to go to the other side and express something. And I wish that I'd had someone say to me, that's insanely valuable, do it and like fight for it, you know? And if scatting isn't for you, don't worry about it, like try, you know, and learn it and and dig and figure out if, if before you bail, that that's something that you're sure you don't value, but, um, but just asking them what excites you, articulate it, let's do it. I feel like that's my, my charge as an educator.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, I really love watching you sing. And again, I've never been able to be in a room where you were singing, but I've just seen you a lot of times on, uh, on YouTube. And because it does seem to me like, uh, oh, this is a person whose, like, entire being is in this song right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I want to be very careful not to sound like Wynton Marsalis right now. So I'm going to try and speak <laughs> very carefully when I say that I have nowadays i live in central pennsylvania so you know there was a time when i lived in new york city and i went to tons of shows and some percentage of those shows i kind of felt like perhaps no one on stage was sure that i was there and Mm -hmm. there's a you know yes i get that miles played with his back to the crowd and but all those comparisons are awful so i i kind of want a little bit of acknowledgement that we're engaged in some kind of relationship when i'm sitting there that's That's just it's important to me and it it doesn't have to be pandering to the audience it doesn't have to be like kind of over the top vegas style showmanship although that's great if that's your bag i just want to feel like whatever emotional response i'm having is in some way feeding into the performance that's important to me Mm -hmm. and i feel like when i watch you even though again you're on a computer and it happened in the past i still am getting that sense that the people in the room were affecting the way you were performing and and Mm -hmm. vice versa and that seems to me to be kind of the core of what making art no matter what it is is about at least in my opinion
2: yeah and i think that there's a lot of people in the world who who actually you know really enjoy the the feeling of, of either quote unquote, getting it right. And like having it not be standoffish, that's not the right word, but like, you know, that, that you're kind of there for cerebral experience, you know, and that you're listening and kind of decoding things and kind of going along for that ride. And there absolutely is value in that because a lot of people pay a lot of money to hear that. And I think also a lot of people kind of like feeling like they don't know what's happening, right? But like, this is cool and hip and, and I'm watching something happen that's complicated and people have spent years and years of their lives figuring out how to do this, right? And, and there is an avenue for that. And there are people who absolutely love that. I feel like, again, you know, just talking about what excites me. Um, I just, I feel like it's my duty to, to, to make sure that that's something that I'm, that I'm doing on stage instead of trying to be an idea of what I think other people want.
0: You, uh, over the years have often had pretty close relationships with, uh, you know, particular musicians for a long period of time on your new music that's coming out now. Are we hearing some of the same people you've been playing with? Are we hearing new people who's involved in that, in that music now?
2: Uh, Um, well, funny, you should ask, well, this, this project led me to some new collaborations. Um, and it all, I mean, if we're going to lay it all out, Jason, we're going to lay it all out. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I performed at a club and Kurt Elling was there and Kurt's been a good friend of mine for years and an advocate for what I do. And a few months later he was performing in LA and I came to the show and sat in and and we had some drinks afterwards and he said if you're open to it I would love to have a conversation with you about what what I think is working with your music and what I think you could consider as an avenue to kind of open yourself up and it was like you know my favorite jazz singer of all time who (laughs) suddenly has become my friend has said he has conclusions that he's drawn and wants to share like yes let me buy the next round (laughs) (laughs) So we sat there for two hours and essentially what he said was, you are a deeper person than your music would indicate. That like your music is really happy and you smile a lot and you're funny and silly on stage. But the person that I have grown to see you become is as a different person. And I know what you value and what you value is, you know, what I keep saying, I think I've said this word six times. It's like sincerity and authenticity. And if that's the thing that you want to fight for, he said, I want you to claim your stage and to explore some of those darker places and to find comfort in that. That like he, you know, he noticed that I was, I, I was beholden to certain folks in my band and, you know, was kind of cowering to them and wanting to make sure that they felt seen and and appreciated instead of like, you know, claiming my space and, and tending only to my audience, right. And myself. And of course, the people that I play with are a massive part of setting that scene, but, um, you know, finding comfort in myself and my own experiences and just kind of focusing on that. Right. And so, Took what he said. and
0: Was that hard to he, hear? Sorry to interrupt you, but was that no. hard to hear in the moment?
2: Yeah, totally. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm, okay, thank you. Not true. <laughs> you know like, <laughs>
0: What does this guy know? Right, Who's like, Kurt who Elling anyway?
2: Right. Um, and then, you know, I spent the next year and a half like unraveling what he had said. And asking myself, like, do I believe him? And do I agree with this? And what needs to shift? And and do I actually feel conscious of the people that I'm making music with while I'm making music with them instead of just being in the moment? And are these songs an idea of a person that I was instead of indicative of who I am right now and the things that I've been through? And, and I recognize that, like, at the end of the day, Kurt was absolutely dead on. And that meant looking at the kinds of material that I sang and the kinds of songs that, and stories that I wanted to tell and the kinds of sounds and instrumentation and grooves and, um, concepts, right. That I, that I wanted to bring into my set. And that was really the goal with this, with these new collaborations was exploring, you know, a a new writing relationship, not just with one person, but there, there are five arrangers on this next project that I was heavily involved in coming up with the ideas and and sitting at the piano and arranging with these folks instead of one person. Right. Um, which forced me to be really cognizant of how I articulated what it was that I wanted to express with my music and not feeling like I was bound by one person's opinion of it. Right. That like, it's my music and, um, it led to a much more sophisticated place, aurally uh, and just in terms of the instrumentation. It's much bigger, right? So, like, it's there's three horns. We have alto saxophone and bass clarinet and trombone. You hear Rhodes and organ. We also have background vocals on a couple songs, um, and it the music is a lot more open, which is interesting. That the instrumentation is much more detailed, but the songs have a lot more room for me to stretch. And to explore and kind of find different pores and pockets um, in the story and, and the telling of the story.
0: Was it scary at the beginning to find your footing in that new that new realm?
2: Well, as I said, it took three
0: years. To yes.
2: There.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I guess totally. that was
2: implied. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No, it was really, really scary. And I think the thing that is the most scary is that it's it's me it's not it's not someone else's idea of me it's not someone else kind of coming up with something and me liking it and doing it right it's me saying this is the sound i'm going for and this is the story i'm telling and this is the arrangement instead of someone saying like here's an arrangement i came up with if you want to sing it right and it's like a fun standard and you know it's fast or you know i sing loud it's like there is intention behind every single note an intention behind every song and i had to be the one To articulate it, which means that at the end of the day, I'm the one responsible for it, which is terrifying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole new level of agency over your own career, which I'm sure to many people from the outside, it looked like you had complete agency before. Um, But, you know, to someone who knows what's going on on stage, like Kurt was apparently able to see more than that.
2: Right. Right. Well, that's all
0: very exciting. Uh, When are we going to get to uh, officially hear what people have been hearing little snippets of on this show?
2: Uh, we're going to be releasing some of the videos that the, the sound is kind of pulled from, uh, little snippets that you're mentioning. We'll be releasing those sort of as we creep up to the release of the album. And I think the projected release date for this one um, is in the spring or summer of 2019.
0: Okay. Wow. So this is a, a very pre-sneak preview that we're giving folks right now. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, Jason, the record was recorded maybe two weeks ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, normally yeah. I like stuff a little fresher than that, but if it can be two weeks, I guess that's fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs>
1: So what fun to be young and to have no cares at all What goes up must come down, what goes round comes around like a carousel, the world is one of big playground Round and round and round and round Keeps turning, goes so fast, right before you can even blink an eye What is lost can be found, what clock can't be rewound Keep your feet on the ground when you're spinning round and round Spinning round and around, spinning round, and around. Spinning round
0: you know, given, as you mentioned at the beginning, that jazz session interviews are constructed backwards, um, tell me about your cat.
2: Well, you know, this is a really important question, and I'm uh, glad that we finally made it. I,
0: I do know um, that it is, <laughs> believe me. Anyone who follows your online content understands that we've now reached the important part of the interview, right. and I totally yes. get that.
2: thank you. Um, yeah, my cat, okay, so my cat, her name is Polly, and she's a long haired gray tabby mix who i adopted from the aspca in los angeles about 10 years ago and she uh, her full name is polyester but we call her Polly for short see there's that humor coming in um and you're talking to the girl who like at 10 years old named her hamster mc hamster <laughs> you know like i've always That's been fabulous. like you know animals are, are animals and they give us so much more than than their name so um so polyester is just like she's got real bitch potential. You know, she's like very she loves everybody and is incredibly social, but she's got like a really mean sitting face. Um, and really, it's just because she is intelligent. I think she's an intelligent, strong woman. And so she's she's been branded as bitchy, but it's just that she's confident. OK,
0: I love it. Yeah. Now, just to be clear, is her name polyester like the fabric or is it poly space ester like the two women's first names? Because either is great. It's
2: it's poly space Esther, but it's spoken polyester.
0: Perfect. That's yeah. I think that's the best possible combination of all yeah, of all, all those alternatives. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, as
0: people are uh, hearing this, this comes out on the 15th, which means I think if I've got the calendar right, that last night you were performing with Helen Sun. Uh, Which, of course, I I can't. Yes, I'm sure it was wonderful. But uh, as as we are speaking right now, you're in the lead up to that and uh, and working on that music. What's it like?
2: It's thrilling. I was just talking to a a really wonderful jazz pianist named Dan Tepfer, who's a good friend of mine who lives in New York, about what it's like to collaborate with someone whose aesthetic is very different from your own um, and pushes you to a place that. Um, you wouldn't necessarily go, but that you're in love with, like, I, I love Helen sung's music and I haven't said that publicly about anybody. Like, it's really, really thrilling to get to sing her songs. I think it, they, it sounds contemporary, but it also sounds in, intentional and expressive. Um, and the writing is, takes like, is, is bendy, like the ear, it bends the ear. Um, but not in a way that makes me feel isolated you know and the content is is fun but it's also sophisticated like it's real you know and and it feels adult um so it's great i'm a i'm a helen sung fan to the maximum like really truly i hope that i hope that the collaboration goes beautifully and we do more things in the future
0: well we know that we've got the new record from you in the spring or summer Uh, what else is on your your plate for the next uh, little while
2: You know, really just focusing on this album. It's been uh, a year in the works to try to get into the studio. And now it's like, you know, really, truly like the we just have the roughs like it hasn't been mixed. It hasn't been mastered. We haven't had photos taken yet. So it's a lot of work to put out a CD. um, And that's really that's kind of it. I have some, you know, guest artist things, some duo concerts with my longtime collaborator, Josh Nelson. um, And you know some a uh, double bill with a wonderful singer named john a kendrick who's a singer from seattle um and a couple dates in uh, in the christmas area with a jazz pianist named david benoit um but for the most part and you know just kind of head down trying to trying to get the cd out into the world it's it's like my my incubating baby at the moment <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i'm just That's...
2: trying to take my prenatal vitamins so that it comes out the <laughs> beautiful shine. wow <laughs>
0: yes, we have stretched that metaphor, I think, <laughs> possibly past its breaking point. That's lovely. Oh, no. Uh, no, it's awesome. I, let's, we're totally leaving it in. Possibly it'll be all that gets left in. Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, I, folks don't know the the backstory, but I will just say that uh, we have near missed each other several times on the East Coast when you've been over there and when I was uh, living there as well. And I've always wanted to have you on the show. So it's a it's a real thrill for me to finally make that happen. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you were here and. I just I love what you do and to the degree that I know you uh, you know very slightly from the online world uh, who you are as well and so thanks for taking the time to
2: to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you for all that you do for the jazz community and listeners and artists alike. It's a it's an honor to be on the show.
1: Our empty and
0: that's the show thanks to the respect sextet for the theme music to this program find them on respectsextet.com thanks to Dave Rabel who designed the logo find us on all the social media facebook.com slash the jazz session twitter at jazz j-a-z-z-s-e-s-h J-A-Z-Z-S-S-H. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. It really does help. And support the show for five bucks a month at patreon.com slash the jazz session. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the jazz session. New episodes come out on the 1st and the 15th. So I'll see you back here next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.